Hello and welcome to the Scottish Politics Podcast. My name is David Clegg, I'm the political editor of The Daily Record and your host. You join me one day away from the SNP conference in Aberdeen, where although it's not officially on the agenda, the Groove Commission report will certainly feature. I'm delighted to have two brilliant guests to discuss the hot topics of Scottish politics with me today. I have from the Scottish Lib Dems, Tavish Scott, uh, the Shetland MSP, and of course, a former leader of the Lib Dems in Scotland. I'm also joined by Ash Denham from the SNP. Ash is an Edinburgh Eastern MSP who joined the Scottish Parliament in 2016. Later on today, we'll be talking, of course, about the SNP party conference. We'll also be talking about First Minister's questions and the abortion debate in Northern Ireland and how it could impact Scotland. But first, let me just talk to my two guests a little bit before we get on straight to the politics. Ash, um, I think Tavish Scott is, is quite well known in Scottish politics. He was a former transport minister and he's been here from 1999. He's a, he's a, he's a, ouch, well, ouch. He's a well-kent face. Uh, you, you joined the parliament in 2016. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into politics and, and what you'd been doing previously? Sure. Um, so I got involved during the independence referendum. And I quite quickly heard about Women for Independence. Someone had mentioned it to me and said that they were, you know, sort of an up-and-coming organisation that I might want to get involved with. And I hadn't been... I've always been interested in politics. I did do a politics degree. I did international relations as an undergraduate. But I'd never been active at all in politics. And obviously I'm in my 40s now, so I hadn't really been involved in it to that point. And I'd never given a speech in public, even. But I went to Women for Indy, and they had... I don't know if you remember this. They were, they'd done a campaign calling out manals. Are you familiar with the term? So well, I spend a lot of my time trying to avoid them in this yes, podcast. exactly. So, so, and I think they quickly realised that if you're going to call out manals, then you have to be able to have, you know, be able to provide um, female speakers, obviously, that you can put forward to speak in debates. So they were, you know, they were quite clear they wanted women's voices to be heard during the independence referendum, which was obviously a really good aim to have. And I think we did succeed in that. And so they opened this list up. And they said uh, anybody who wanted to become a, um, one of their speakers to go on this list um, could sign up to do it. And obviously there was no, you didn't have to you know, tell them what you're an expert in or anything like that. It was just open to anyone. So I put my name forward for that. And the next thing you know, the phone's ringing. You know, can you go on a panel with um, David Mundell? Can you go and debate Michael Moore at the school down the road? You know, and all this sort of thing. So it was quite a change from not being active in politics to, you know, to sort of standing up and giving speeches. It's a very steep learning curve. Very steep learning curve. And so got involved in that, and I was also involved in um, yes, in you know the yes campaign in my local area as well, doing all the stuff, you know, all the usual grassroots stuff, leafleting, and you know all that kind of stuff as well. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And I think from that point, I thought hmm, maybe I should think about going into politics. And a few people had said that to me as well during the campaign as well. And um, so at that point, um, just after the independence referendum, I started to think about that. And then I put myself forward to see if I could get through, you know, vetting and all that with the SNP, which I did. When did you join the party then, around I September joined, 2014? Um, no, I joined before, so... But it's still a very short period from getting inspired by the referendum and yeah. to becoming an, an MSP. I suppose if you think five, six years ago, it would never have crossed your mind that you might no, be in the Scottish Parliament. It wouldn't have, no, absolutely. So yeah, it has been quite a whirlwind experience. Tavish, as someone who's been here since the beginning... Do you? Th- the, it's quite a common story that from mm. certainly some of the new MSPs yeah. who started in twenty sixteen. How do you think it's it's changed the dynamic in here? Well, I think the new intake uh, spare ashes blushes, but I think the new intake this time round is really strong. I think it's one of the best intakes we've had across all the parties, and it's been a pleasure to listen to new people coming in with some new ideas and 
um, some thought-provoking ways to enter the debates we have day in, day out in this place. So um, I think Parliament has been enhanced uh, in terms of the uh, of, of new people um, in the last couple of years. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I, it's a good point Ash makes. I hadn't really thought about, about it in terms of being inspired by um, an event rather than being be, becoming in a traditional way a member of a political party and going to the roots and, and becoming a, an MP or an MSP. So, um, no, I think all in that sense entirely positive. Good. Just to start with some of the events of this week, uh, the big vote yesterday, it's Thursday afternoon as we're recording this. We've just had First Minister's questions and we're expecting a statement on the minor strike in Scotland and its impact on communities very shortly. But just uh, yesterday we had uh, the, the final vote on the pardon for people con- uh, convicted of offences uh, to do with their sexuality in the past. It was a consensual debate in some ways in that everyone voted for it to pass, but there was an incident with the SNP MSP John Mason. He's can be quite controversial in these kind of issues uh, in regards to his faith and Patrick Harvey and him had quite a, a charged exchange. Tavish, what, what, what did you make of that yesterday? Well, firstly, on, the, on your substantial point, uh, David, it's, we righted a wrong yesterday and that was a good day for, for um, policy, for public policy, for, I think, democracy and for Scotland. So I think it's important to, to reflect that. You're right, there was a, uh, you know, John Mason's of a strong faith. He believes in, in, in his... his uh, his uh, own position on these things and as a liberal as someone there who who may not agree but is certainly entirely tolerant of of people being able to express their view I was disappointed that the leader of a political party and that's it's important to remember Patrick is the leader of a, a political party had a straight all go and go at him on the basis on a, a liberal basis I mean as far as I could see Patrick was was saying John shouldn't be allowed to have a view like that and shouldn't be allowed to express it and I as a, a small L liberal just do not accept that point of view and I think I mean most of my green friends on the in the corridor of where we all abide in this um, extraordinary building uh, are very much liberals well Patrick didn't have a shred of liberalism in yesterday, in, in yesterday and I was really disappointed by that what did you make of the exchange, Ash? Mm. So I think my preference usually for debates is the debates that are quite heated, where you know there's strong passions across the chamber and everyone's shouting at each other and all that. I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but yesterday obviously was not like that because you know, as Tavisha said, you know, really it was a historic day for Scotland yesterday in passing that legislation. Um, there was a sense of history being made. I think most people approached it, you know, with you know their speeches had gravitas in them. They were talking about how you know, this, this would affect their children and the way that Scotland was perceived internationally. And there was a, a, it was a very consensual, other than the point mentioned. And so when uh, someone stands up like that and, I guess, um, doesn't follow the tone of the other speakers, it's so jarring, that was the first thing. Um, it was completely silent when he sat down again, so no one applauded that speech whatsoever. And I, th- I wonder whether he will look back, Patrick will look back on that and think, you know, on such a historic day where we were writing a wrong was that the right time to strike? And will he be proud of that in, say, five years' time? I don't it's, know. It's interesting because on an historic day, that angle led the news agenda on the BBC, on the Press Association, which can tend to set the news agenda for everyone else. And I have to say it was also the line that we took in the Daily Record this morning. So I don't think we blame you for that, David. No. I mean, I think those of us in politics recognise journalists have a job to do when you've got a news line out of it. Yeah. But... Um, you know, on a day, especially with someone like Patrick, who believes fundamentally in human rights and the right kind of rights in that sense, uh, why would he want to dominate the debate in that way? Yeah. Only he can answer that question, as Ash rightly says. Well, let's move on. And, and as we're on a conscience issue, and uh, there's a, a, 
not 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 exactly the same, but a similar issue in regards to abortion in Northern Ireland that's been in the the news a lot in the last couple of weeks, specifically since the uh, referendum about that in the Republic of Ireland. There's been a Supreme Court judgment today, which although technically the 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 human rights campaigners who brought the case to the Supreme Court didn't win, but the Supreme Court has said explicitly that the abortion law in Northern Ireland is in breach of human rights law. So I'm just I'm just wondering what the general feeling with you two is about whether this is something that uh, the UK government should be legislating on. We all we all know the problems in Northern Ireland about the Assembly not being up and running at the minute. But it, it does it seems it's a very complicated issue in general and it's being further complicated by the particular politics of Northern Ireland. What, what what's your what's your general view on that, Tavish? Well, firstly, I don't like that Arlene Foster's holding the whole country to ransom on Brexit. And actually, if there's an irony in this situation, it now is that the UK Parliament may force um, the Stormont Assembly to basically to meet again to, for Sinn Féin and, and the DUP to come together and form that uh, power-sharing government that needs to happen, because they could threaten to legislate in this area of abortion. And that, if that's what it takes, then it's not where we all would have wished wish to be in kind of normal constitutional politics, but it, but it could be the thing that, that it could be the, 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 the measure that, that unblocks things. And that, that's a good thing. We need that government back in play. And in terms of the abortion issue, Northern Ireland will have to change. I think after the vote in the, in the, in the south of the border, there's no question Northern Ireland will have to change. If, if it came to the stage where the, it was being put to a vote at Westminster, would you, would you be happy with Liberal Democrat MPs from other parts of the UK imposing that on Northern Ireland? I mean, the, the principle should be no, of course not. But frankly, we are where we are. We're in this Brexit situation as well. I think you've got to see this debate, sadly, in the context of the enormous upheaval we're going through with Brexit. Uh, and the fact that, uh, well, there's no point in discussing that in this context, but I just think it is in that, that's the background. Therefore, yes, I think Liberal Democrat MPs will take a hard look at that. I don't, I'm sure that discussion hasn't yet happened because there's no legislation in front of the UK Parliament yet. But the principle is, uh, is of course, wrong, but the practice has to be right. It's one of those curious situations. Ash, what's your view on this? I think as somebody who operates in a devolved legislature, you know, who is quite involved, you know, obviously in the continuity bill and the uh, scrutiny of the EU withdrawal bill and how it potentially affects Holyrood, I would not be keen on the, the principle of legislating from London over, over the heads of the Northern Irish population. Now, it might not be something that I agree with, you know, the situation out there. In fact, I don't agree with it, but I still think democracy needs... I know there's no functioning government there at the moment. Obviously, that's something that um, hopefully can be got up and running again soon. And if that is something that comes out of this, that would be good. Um, but I think it, it has to be a matter for Stormont. I, I, I know quite a few of the people here involved in the campaign in Northern Ireland, just coincidentally, and the argument that they would make to that would be, well, one, we, can't, we have no mechanism to do anything about it at the minute because mm. there's no assembly up and running. And also, secondly, they would point out that the Supreme Court verdict today, which explicitly says elements of abortion law in Northern Ireland are against human rights, brings that yeah. into the remit of the UK government mm. because human rights are reserved to, West, mm. to Westminster. Do you, do you think there's a possibility of some wriggle room there where uh, the SNP could perhaps feel more comfortable with them? I mean, I can't speak for my colleagues, you know, at Westminster, I'm sure they will look at this and obviously they'll, they'll make a decision on it. I wouldn't be keen on it myself, I don't think. Um, but I do think, you know, the women in Northern Ireland do, uh, you know, should have access to safe services. And we know that obviously some of them do come to Scotland to access those services. Yeah. So I think you know the Scottish government will obviously be looking at that to make that as accessible um, well, as possible for them. Kez, Kezia Dugdale raised it with the First Minister at First Minister's questions there and, and the thing she was talking about was travel costs because 
obviously it costs money to travel to Scotland for an abortion. It seems that the first minister was open to looking at that. So maybe maybe that will be something that will. And, and the other side, David, is is Arlene Foster, the DUP leader. And, and, and who should be the first minister of Northern Ireland is coming to Scotland in what some weeks' time. Yeah. There's an opportunity to, and she's coming to lead an Orange March. Now again, okay, if, if, if that's, but she should be trying to reorganise her government in in uh, Northern Ireland, not marching through the streets of Glenrothes or wherever it, it's going to be. It, it does seem a curious priorities that to be leading an Orange March when there seems to be a, a lot of a lot of work to be done in other areas. Uh, as we as we touched on FMQs there, let's talk a little bit about First Minister's questions, and then we'll we'll finish. what I'm sure with what will be the most lengthy and stimulating part of the <laughs> conversation about the SNP conference, independence, and the Growth Commission. Um, and here's a here's a startling fact for you both. Uh, I don't by my reckoning there was no mention of independence during First Minister's questions today at all. It was it was very much focused on public services. Tavish, do you think that the what has been a, a long time? complaint of opposition parties here is that public services are struggling but it doesn't seem to touch the First Minister. Do you think it's starting to touch her now? I, I sense by the answers that we've got all too used to listening to. I mean I sit kind of vaguely behind Nicola Sturgeon at, at question time and I can see the book that she reads from and, and they're becoming pretty pretty well worn those pages on health and education. I mean I didn't agree with Ruth Davidson on justice today. I thought Ruth was just wrong, plain wrong from my political standpoint of that and I thought Nicola Sturgeon answered those questions Maybe really well. Do you want to explain about the details? Sorry, that, I apologise. Yeah. Ruth Davidson, the Conservative leader, uh, raised this issue about there was a court case uh, with a, a, a guy who had been out, yeah. uh, committed a, a murder, and, there's, curfew, yes, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a discussion about the system and the factors that there's a review yeah, going on. Matter, yeah. what, what, what principle did you disagree well, with I, I, Ruth Davidson? Just that that uh, 76% of... Uh, home curfews where an individual is is at home but but under supervision in that sense um, uh, work in the sense that, that the individual finishes that period of time under curfew and that kind of thing and then, and then it's in that sense discharged back into society and if we're if we believe in restorative just, justice which I do and I'm pleased to see our current government does then that's the approach we've got to take government's right to of course review some of these issues but I think to draw the sweeping parallel that Ruth sought to do today to say that everything was wrong with the system based on what awful murder was just plain was just plain wrong. What about what about the wider issues Ash I guess it's quite difficult as an as an SNP backbencher whenever you you've 11 years in government and uh, there there's a lot of criticism of, of public services do you do you worry that the public's starting to grow tired with the uh, are concerned about the public services in Scotland? I think there's always going to be a level of concern about public services. You know, people uh, want to use them. When they do use them, they want them to, um, you know, serve their needs as best that they can. And obviously we're in a challenging financial position right now. You know, Westminster has cut Scotland's budget relentlessly over the last 10 years. You know, we've lost about 9% of our budget. That's £2.6 billion that's been taken out of the money that's available for the Scottish Government to spend on things like services and investment in Scotland, and clearly that will have an impact. But I think we also need to bear in mind that some of Scotland's public services are the best performing in the whole of the UK. And I think when you go out there and you speak to people who are using the services, I'm not saying you know we the Scottish government get everything right. Of course they don't. Of course there are challenges, and particularly in the NHS, you know, with the demographic issues that we're facing, as many other countries are facing as well. Um, but when you speak to people, you will you know you find that most people are pretty satisfied. You know they are able to get um, you know, their hospital appointments. Um, when they are in hospital, you know, they feel that they're being treated well. You know, I've had constituents that have written to me on that uh, you know, 
quite regularly. Do you, what, what do you find in your surgeries or when you're uh, canvassing? Do you, do you the concern about public services a regular issue? I think there. Are, I think some people are concerned about public services, but I think equally, I think there is a recognition that, um, particularly our NHS, is you know highly performing. You know we've had the best A and E um, performance in the UK. I think it's for something like four years in a row now. So you know clearly. Um, despite the challenge that we're facing, you know, it is a well-run service. You know, people do, they love it. I mean, they love the Scottish NHS. Um, it's not perfect, but, you know, it is, it is performing well. I suspect you might disagree, Tavish. Yeah, I just don't, I, mean, I have great respect to Ash, but I just don't even begin to recognise that from my surgeries or even pushing a trolley down the supermarket aisle last, last weekend. Um, the, two examples. The first is the guarantee, the waiting time guarantee, which Nicola herself brought in when she was the health minister. And I have got, I don't know how many cases in our system at the moment where that just doesn't mean anything. And I remember her standing up in the front of the chamber telling us all that they were going to give patients the right to a legal guarantee. And they're now, what, 56,000 people for which that's been broken and is currently not happening. And uh, those people don't love the NHS, they don't love the government, they don't love anyone. They're wondering why the heck a government made a commitment to a legal guarantee that now just doesn't happen. And the other side to it is waiting times. Uh, again, uh, too many cases at home at the moment, both for people who should be treated in Lerwick or who should be going to Aberdeen because the, the procedure is more complex and, and is therefore rightly takes place in Aberdeen, where um, uh, the waiting time goes on and on and on. And the, it is um, a lack of staff, it is a lack of, uh, I think, management ability uh, to get things sorted out, to focus on what has to happen. And people are falling through the system all over the place. So, you know, then we tend to get the answer, well, don't, you can't blame the staff, and, I, and none of us do, but the system isn't working. The NHS has never had more money. The other thing, I mean, I hear what Ash says about money, and of course, the, every part of the public sector has, has had to deal with difficulties but the NHS has been protected through that and Barnet Consequentials, I'm not a Tory, but Barnet Consequentials have meant NHS money has gone up, not down. So it's important to recognise that, but the system isn't coping at the moment. Nothing like it's coping. Your, your party leader, Willie Rennie, uh, raised the NHS. How did you think he, he fared today? Do you think it was a victory? I don't, I think I'm too long in the tooth to judge FMQs by victories and defeats unless it's a clear knockout blow. And we just don't tend to see that because Nicola's a very accomplished uh, first Minister and she's an accomplished debater but Willie landed today simply because he read out figures and stats and and they resonate with people who are watching that or listening to it on uh, listening to it um, and see our politicians simply setting out what's actually happening it's much more difficult as I well remember when you were a minister to defend the reality of what's happening as, as someone sitting behind Nicola Sturgeon how do you find the First Minister's questions experience? Um, I think Nicola you know usually is on top of her game and you know is usually able to completely demolish the opposition I don't think today was any different and I mean if we're talking about the NHS I'd have to take issue with some of the things that Tavish's just said you know the Scottish government has put a record amount of money into the NHS and staffing levels are at a record high as well so in terms of what so why are the waiting so wrong well but the government you know in terms of the tools it has available is is doing you know the best for the NHS in terms of you know, making sure that the right amount of funding is available to it. I mean, obviously, you could always put more money in. Um, there's a programme of reforms that's going on as well. There's improvements, changes to the system. Obviously, we've got the integration ag um, agenda, moving into community care and so on, all of which things are ongoing and all of which will, you know, have an impact and improve things. So I, I wouldn't re necessarily recognise that. And I think also we need to remember that in terms of benchmarking for the UK, you know, Scotland does come out of that well. And the other thing, I think, is, as well as obviously the opposition parties 
rightly should be trying to hold the government to account. That's their job and that's what people would expect them to do. But I think, you know, there's an intense amount of negativity for anything and everything Scottish. You know, it's almost as if everything in Scotland is, you know, the worst it could possibly be. You know, that nothing can be good that happens here. And I sometimes think that when the public watch that, I think they feel that as well. You know, and they, they feel that nothing that the SNP do, you know, is ever considered to be good. Um, it's never a good news. And, that, you know, I'm reminded, actually, what's just come into my mind is, um, and I'm not sure if it was your newspaper, was it the blowtorch that somebody took to a baby box? That was not my newspaper. Just, no. That was just <laughs> it was, into my it was, mind. It was a, it was a London-based <laughs> rival. <laughs> a London-based rival, so as we describe it. But if you think about that, and you think about the fact that that policy, you know, is universally... Ex, you know, loved, accepted. It's obviously, it's you know, yeah. it's a great policy. It's a great thing. Well, that was a mi- that was people. a misjudged tabloid stunt. I'm not. It's a I'm great not sure thing we should... to give yeah. new parents. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you've actually seen a baby box in real life. I have one. Um, you have one. Great. So you've seen the amazing things that are in there, and what a great thing that would be to receive that. And yet, we have somebody taking a blowtorch to that to to make out that somehow that that's a bad policy. So I think that's that's quite shows the kind of toxic level that we're at now, which you know is really disappointing. Tavish, you ba- you backed the baby box, didn't you? Yeah, I mean it's, it wouldn't have been my spending priorities. I mean it's a it's a it's an, an initiative which I'm sure has value. I recognise that, but it, to say it's, I think there are, there are plenty of health professionals I've met who said I wouldn't spend the money on that. I've found other ways to spend money in the health service. So you know it's something that's been done. I wouldn't you know, but I, it's a bit like prescription charges. I mean we we've debated this a long time past, David, but when. When uh, the, the current government introduced free prescription for everything, I didn't agree with that. I'd have rather spent fifty million pounds on the pressing needs of the NHS, but it was a, a very populist political decision to take. So, you know, there are, there are choices we can make and could make, and government makes some that I don't agree with. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on uh, to the SNP conference, which is starting in uh, Aberdeen tomorrow morning. I think we'll we're all going up to Aberdeen, in fact, tonight, I believe. Uh, but let me just start with well, the first thing on the agenda tomorrow, which is the SNP deputy leadership. Uh, Angus Robertson obviously stood down. Uh, are you comfortable saying who you're supporting, Ash? Yes, I've publicly um, already said who I'm supporting, so I'm supporting Keith Brown. You're supporting Keith Brown. Now, he is obviously the big favourite. Are you confident he's going to be victorious? I hope he will, yes. He certainly was, was my top choice, so I hope he will, yeah. Tavish, what have you made of that contest watching from the outside? I, I'm not sure many of us have noticed it, to be honest. I mean, I don't know if that's a deliberate tactic in, in, in that sense. I mean, clearly Keith's uh, well known to all of us in, in uh, Parliament, but the others are not, uh, and and we're not the electorate in that sense. So, the, so we the, the uh, SNP certainly seem, seem better at not uh, kicking each other in public during leadership yeah, and deputy leadership contests as perhaps other parties Correct. in this building. Right. Yeah. Um, for the, there's there's one there's one candidate, uh, well Christopher McElhenney, who's been very much forcing the issue on a second independence referendum. That's been his pitch, uh, and I suspect that that is something that will will feature uh, for the next two days. I'll, maybe I'll maybe ask you about this first, Tavish. What's your thoughts on whether we're going to have a second independence referendum anytime soon? Well, I think if if uh, the SNP bring it forward uh, in this Parliament, it'll absolutely go down like a lead balloon and lose and it'll be the end of Nicola's career so for that reason I don't think she will um, she saw for that it. reason do you quite fancy one then? no I'm not the Wendy Alexander bring it on uh, I saw what happened on that one uh, all those years ago no I don't follow that political strategy but I, I do think that the mood out there is uh, with the, all the uncertainties in the world around us at the moment that the last thing uh, Scotland needs is, is a divisive referendum which is what it would be 
and um, I, I'd, I'd, I repeat, they would lose it, and not only that, it would be Nicola resigning on the Friday morning as Alec had to do last time. So end of political career, she ain't going to vote for that. What do you think, Ash? Keith Brown, who you're backing for deputy leader, has been slightly more reserved in his comments about it. He's, you know, he said, well, I think he said that one could happen within a year, but we need to, the, the party needs to check for the, the, the time is right, that the circumstances are right. What, what, what's your personal thoughts on it? Well, apparently support for independence is at a record high at the moment. I think it was 48% in the polls this week. So I think that shows that there is still um, an interest in independence for Scotland. You know, there's still um, an appetite for uh, looking at a different type of, of Scotland. I think, I certainly think that for the, you know, if I talk about the membership of the SNP and the activists, I know the people that come to branch meetings, you know, they do these things because they believe that independence is the right thing for Scotland and they're passionate about that and they want that. So it's completely understandable that they look to, you know, the First Minister or the Deputy Leader, you know, for guidance in that, when should it be? And obviously people have different ideas about when that would be um, or when the right time would be. Um, and I think there are a lot of people who are really keen to fire the starting gun, you know, want to get out there and start well, there, campaigning there next week for the next referendum. There is this, this impression in the newspapers as much as anywhere else, I suppose, that the SNP leader or the SNP membership, I should say, is like pulling on Nicola, come on, let's have it as quickly as possible. I want I want one tomorrow. Yeah. As, as someone who's obviously seen membership up close a lot, is that would you say that's a fair characterisation? I would say that's, that's certainly part of it. I think there is quite a lot of pressure to make a decision and you know to have the next referendum as soon as possible. I think there are definitely, I don't know what sort of percentages I'd put on that, maybe half and half. Then you have a, a lot of other people who think that you know uh, the next opportunity we get to do this, it needs to be right and we need to win it because we probably won't get another chance, you know, in the sh- certainly in the medium term. Um, if at all, who knows how it would go. So um, they're more of the opinion you should call Kanye a wee bit on that and you know wait for the right time. So, but it's certainly, it's an issue. I'm sure it will be debated at the weekend. You know, I'm sure um, the First Minister will obviously probably mention something to do with it in her, in her big speech. I think the Growth Commission um, report and the information that's been in that has added a little bit of interest and reinvigorated the debate a little bit around that. I think a lot of, not everybody agrees with what's in it. Um, not all the SNP membership would agree with what's in it, but I think it's a really interesting kind of starting point for debate around that, what sort of Scotland do we want to live in? What have you made of the Growth Commission report, Tavish? Well, to begin with, I don't think all the SNP MSPs agree with it, judging by the tea room last night. But um, oh, really? Uh, well, so, yeah, without giving confidence as a way. No, of course, of course not. That would, but, you would never do that. And I don't just mean the usual suspects. I'm, I'm, quite... cer- I'm certainly not someone who would suggest we should talk about what goes on in the pub. No, indeed, indeed <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I thought Andrew Wilson um, showed his uh, economically dry side in producing that uh, report. Uh, it, after all. Um, endorses austerity. It endorses cutting public services. He, he would dispute that, we should say. Well, indeed, but, but Ian McPuerta, who would not be described as, as uh, anything other than an independent commentator, wrote a pretty reasonable piece on this just the other day and said it should gather dust quickly because it'll lose them an election. And the, I, and you know, the, the IFS some... have said this week that it would involve the cutting of public well, expenditure. Indeed, indeed. So I can well understand Andrew trying to spin his way out of a report he's written. He, that's what he did when he was an MSP. But... Uh, but um, he's definitely on the economically dry side of the SNP. But there are also, as what I well know, good friends who are on the, very much the socialist side of the SNP. And I think that's the problem they've now got. They produced a report which, uh, uh, which when analysed independently, looks to me like it's created all kinds of economic problems for them. What do you think the strategic thinking behind publishing it so close to the party conference was? 
Whenever well, you whenever you were party leader, what was what, what, what were you thinking in the run up to conference? Well, you wanted to create attention, but you also wanted to debate it on the floor of the of the of the conference. And I'm it's puzzling to, to put it mildly that the, as as I understand it, the SNP aren't actually debating it formally. Well, it was published after the agenda was drawn up. As but, my understanding, but who controls the agenda? Is it not the the chief executive of the party, who's the husband of the, you know, I mean, these things can be sorted out by any party, and I think anyone who starts suggesting there's lots of process reasons why something so significant as the Growth Commission couldn't have been on the agenda, frankly, just doesn't uh, bear any close examination. So, um, if, if it is the future of, of, of uh, the independence debate, then it's pretty interesting they're not bothering to debate it. I'll just stay with you for a second. You've seen highs and lows for the SNP while you've been here. Um, where do you where do you think they are at the minute? Obviously, twenty fifteen was a, a fantastic high, and yeah. an yeah. undreamed of high. Do, yeah. you, do you do you think there's obviously they've lost some MPs since then? Do you think yeah. there's, there's decline and continuing decline? It's or? difficult to see why it's not that when public services are under such pressure. I mean, uh, we will debate public services because we have to, and, and we'll give our perspectives on these things. But again, if you try to be objective about it from outside, then and, and real people's experiences. Um, health is difficult at the moment. Health is very difficult at the moment. Education is challenging. Uh, Johnson's reforms there look like they're stalled at the moment. Uh, and and I have mums coming out of my surgeries about P1 tests at the moment, which have just been introduced by this government. Lots of things there that now are starting to resonate. And I actually think, you asked the question earlier on, David, I actually think there's now more going on in terms of of real local local issues, which are by definition public services across the whole country, and how those are resonating, and that's actually starting to become nearly the same in terms of political weight as the constitution, which we've spent the last ten years going on and on and on about. And that's, I think, difficult for any government once they've been in power ten years. It doesn't actually matter who it is, as I well remember. Well, I remember Alex Salmond once saying that governments inevitably become oppositions, yeah, that's right. and, and, op- and governments opposition don't win elections; governments lose them, which I think is what's going to happen. Ash. You think you think they're going to the SNP will go to part in the next election? I, I, the, it's, we have a PR system, so who knows how the balance shakes out. By the way, Ruth will not be the first minister of Scotland. That's one thing I can definitely say. But but I think there'll be some shake up next time. Yeah, interesting. Ash, I just just whenever Tavish was speaking there, I was thinking about someone who came into the party on the independence issue. Uh, obviously, your day to day life as an MSP doesn't affect the independence that much. Do, has that changed your priorities in politics, or, or what you th- or how you think about it, or or what you would like to see discussed at the SNP conference, or would you say that's still your driving goal? I think it is my overarching driving goal, for sure. I mean, that's why I'm here. You know, that's why I wanted to get into politics. You know, I have a strong belief that it'd be better for the people of Scotland for us to make the decisions that affect us, and for us to do that here in Holyrood, and not to have a parliament four hundred miles away. You know, legislating for us on our behalf and I think it's become even clearer since 2014 you know the case has been has been made in that in that sense for me even more so and I think for other people as well you know with Brexit you know it's a classic example Scotland didn't vote for Brexit um, and yet we have a UK government that's in complete disarray doesn't seem to know whether it's coming or going and um, it's embarrassing us on an international stage on an almost weekly basis it seems um, is unable seemingly to go to the table with the EU and come up with a, you know, present the plans or, you know, tell them what they want to do or how they want to achieve things. Can't seem to solve the simplest of issues re- regarding that. We're nearly two years into this and, you know, we still haven't got any answers. You know, Scotland didn't want this and now we're going to be dragged off some sort of economic cliff edge at the behest of, you know, the right wing of the Tory party. It's absolute madness. 
And so is that what you want to hear debated most at the SNP conference or, or what would you like to see achieved in the next two days in Aberdeen? Well, um, so what uh, Tavish was saying about you know who controls the agenda, the agenda is actually controlled by um, a committee called SOAC. So they would obviously go through the things that are submitted from branches and decide what goes on to the agenda. But there is also usually space for um, what's called topical um, resolutions. So it may be that something to do with independence or the Growth Commission um, you know, could feature as part of that. So I think even if it doesn't get onto the main floor, I think it will still be debated. You know, People will be talking about this. Um, certainly people are talking about it in the branch. I think the MSPs here are talking about it. And um, We actually had MPs come up because obviously Westminster was off um, I think they were in recess last week, so they came up, you know, to be briefed by Andrew Wilson, you know, so we all, you know, could ask our questions and, and you know, get involved in that. So, yeah, I think it's certainly of interest. Good. Okay, well, the next two days will reveal all. I'd like to thank my two guests from the Lib Democrats. I have uh, Tavish Scott and from the SNP, Ash Denham. Please read the Daily Record uh, for all coverage of the SNP conference. And I'll be back next week. Thank you very much. Cheers. <laughs>